0: How's everybody tonight? Good. I'm glad to hear it. We're going to continue our journey through the book of Numbers, so I invite you to open up Numbers chapter 19 as the children of Israel continue to wander in the wilderness. Let's get a mental uh, uh, grasp on what's going on. 90 funerals a day, getting close to 38 years have passed getting to be a long, dreary, sad, disappointing walk. You ever felt that way in your walk with the Lord? Long, disappointing, dreary, where's the joy? Where's that victorious Christian walk that that we're called to experience? Well, last time we got together, we talked about the fact that when we allow unbelief, when we allow our hearts to be disappointed and turned toward bitterness with God, we're never going to enter into the victorious Christian life. In order to enter into that victorious Christian life, we have to trust Him so that we can cross the Jordan River, so that we can enter into the Promised Land, so we can say, I don't know how it's going to work, but I trust you that it's going to work. But we find the children of Israel now in a place where Where they're struggling, one dreary day merging into the next dreary day. As they wander in the wilderness, just short of the good uh, life that God had promised them. Just a little bit outside of what God had going on. And then God gives unto Aaron an ordinance. A unique thing here in, in chapter 19. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying... This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. Now, this animal would be extremely rare and pure. Rare and pure because it's a heifer that has never had to work. It's never calved. It's never given birth. The color had to be a distinct a distinct red color. And the Lord has a very specific plan for this. And it's a little different than we'll see in any of the other sacrifices. There is nothing really like the red heifer. Let's look. You will give it to Eliezer the priest that he would take it outside the camp and it will be slaughtered before him, not by him. The red heifer's, ...is going to be a little bit different from all the other sacrifices in this. One, it is not a male. It's a female sacrifice. Second, it's slain outside the camp and away from the altar. Not at the tabernacle, not in the temple. Outside the camp and away from the altar. And it's slain by a layman, not by the priest. Someone else killed the red heifer. The next thing we're going to see is, is here in the next phrase says, Eleazar the priest will take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer will be burned in his sight. Its hide, its flesh, its blood, its offal shall be burned. So they didn't take the blood before they would drain the blood. And the blood would, would then be sprinkled on different implements to make them clean. All those things picturing the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But this one, the blood's burned the red heifers burned everything nothing taken nothing saved all burned to ash but it's interesting three things are going to be added to it three things added to it while it's burning let's look the priest will take cedar wood and we've seen these three things before hyssop and scarlet and he's going to add those to the red heifer while it burns Maybe you'll remember them from Leviticus, maybe not. Those three materials were what was used to cleanse the leper. When a leper was cleansed, they would utilize those three materials. And we talked about it back in Leviticus. The cedar pointed to the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. The hyssop was that through which the blood was applied. So you have the cross that tool that's used to apply the blood of Jesus Christ and the scarlet, speaking of the, the cleansing blood. These three things are going to be put into the midst. The priest will take cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire, the burning, the heifer. And the priest will wash his clothes and bathe in water and afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. Remember, any anytime you touch something dead unclean till evening he's going to wash himself it's called the mikvot all around uh, jerusalem in israel you'll see them their ritual baths you and i would look at them like a baptismal today the, they had stairs going down into them where they could be submersed and then stairs coming back up the other side so you went down into this living water you were cleansed ceremonially washed and you exited the water clean uh, able to enter back into the camp, uh, but not able to worship again until evening. Now listen. Listen to what else would take place. Then the man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place, and they will be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin." The ashes of the red heifer were and are required to purify the the priesthood. It's one of the things, if you go to Israel, you go to a place called the Temple Institute where they've already built all the implements for the temple. Everything's ready. The high priest garments, uh, all the things that we've studied in the scripture minus the Ark of the Covenant and uh, the ashes of the red heifer. Now, they are or have been doing a lot of research in regard to finding a quote-unquote red heifer that will meet up to the standards. We know at some point they will because we know that a temple is going to be rebuilt. And, uh, and once again, a high priest is going to work the service uh, that he was required to do in the temple. So it's something that we see yet future. But listen, it points to this attitude of this cleansing. And I like the fact that that cleansing took place... What When you added the the red heifer, red, everything red, all red things are pointing to the blood of Jesus Christ. Shed to cleanse us from sin. Just like the blood of the sacrifice was given to cleanse us from sin. We see it burned on the offering. Consecrated. Holy given. Nothing left out. Nothing kept out. All of it burned down to the ash. We see the wood of the cross. We see hyssop. You remember the psalmist would... Would would pray a prayer, purge me with hyssop? Purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was is, is like a, uh, a sponge bush. It's really just a bush bush, but they used it like a sponge. They'd pull off a branch, and they would dip that, almost like a paintbrush, only not so bristly. They'd dip it down in the blood, and that's how the blood would be applied, whether to the doorposts, whether to the altar, whether in the tabernacle or the temple. Hyssop. Purge me with hyssop. What else was hyssop used? To purify the leper. When the psalmist would say, purge me with hyssop, it's like he's saying, I am like a leper. I'm as a leper. What is leprosy? A picture of sin. So purge me. Clean me. Make me clean. And that's the work that was accomplished through the burning and the sacrifice of the red heifer. The ashes would be... So the priest would go take the red heifer out. Another person would kill it. The priest would dip his finger in the blood, sprinkle that blood seven times toward the tabernacle. Then they would burn it into ash. Then he would go cleanse himself and go back in. And a clean man, hadn't touched anything dead, would come out and he would prepare the ash so that it could be utilized in mixing with living water to cleanse those who were Unclean. Look what takes place. He goes on to give several examples. For example, um, well, let's go on, verse 10. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean till evening. And it shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger that dwells among them. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. Now think about it. When the priest touched the dead heifer, the, the red heifer who had been slain, do you remember how many days he was unclean? He's unclean for one. But if you touch a dead man or woman, human, you're unclean for seven. Why? Because the human being is capable of sin and when he dies, he is bearing the fruit. What does the Bible say? The wages of sin is? Death. Every single time. So, touching that which had greater responsibility, human, other than or, or greater than that of, a, of an animal. And so there was a greater period of uncleanness, seven days. And it says, He will purify himself with water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Listen, he had to go to the ashes of the red heifer, had to be mixed with water, had to be sprinkled on him on the third day. He had to come back again the seventh day, had to be sprinkled on him again, and then he could enter back into the camp. Seems kind of like a crazy thing, right? A little weird, a little strange. Well, hang on a minute. Let's look at John chapter 13. Why don't you flip there with me? John chapter 13. Maybe maybe you'll remember as we went through studying the Scripture, in John chapter 13, we'll pick it up about verse 5. It says, now, after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he had been girded. And he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, then not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said, he who is bathed, Luio, he who has been cleansed, completely washed needs only to nipto wash in part wash his feet and is completely clean and you are clean but not all of you and he was speaking of the one who would betray him judas laying out for us in the scripture here that judas was never saved he was never cleansed peter though had been saved he had been cleansed but when we go about in this world we become dirty And so we need to be cleansed. The picture that we see back in Numbers is the same attitude. It's the same thing going on with them. The the foot washing only with the ashes of the the red heifer. Just as they would become unclean in the normal parts of life. We, if we do not allow Jesus to wash us, to cleanse us. Then he says, I have no part with you. We have to receive that once and for all cleansing that we receive when we put our faith and trust in jesus christ but then the day-to-day washing when our feet gets dirty that's what's going on with a red heifer it's the same kind of a picture hey you know i'm 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 part of the family everything's going good but but uh, you know i've been made unclean ceremony unclean because of these actions i need to go outside the camp Outside the camp. What's that picture? You're stepping outside of that place wherein we see the workings of the old covenant and the law. We step outside of the camp. We come to this bottle of, of the ashes of a red heifer mixed with water. Jesus said that if any of you thirst, let him come unto me and I will give him what? Living water. He spoke of fountains of living water springing up within my soul. We see pictures of the cross and of the blood and of the application of the blood and the sacrifice uh, or the burning of the red heifer, and we see that all sprayed, just sprayed over the person. Now, it didn't scrub any dirt off them, but the third day and the seventh day made him clean. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The the attitude, remember, that. where are they now? They're wandering in the wilderness. Why? Because they're bitter at God. They're angry at God. They're frustrated at God. Lord says, listen, you don't need to be totally cleansed. I don't need to start completely over. But you need to wash all this silly junk out of your life. And I'm going to give you a tradition to picture it. Part that you're going to practice. And keep in mind, what's going on this period of time? How many funerals a day? 90. What's the opportunity for someone to come in contact with a dead body? Someone in your family died? You're going to touch them. If you're going to touch them, you're going to go outside the camp. You're going to be sprinkled with the the ashes of the red heifer and with water and made clean, washing on the third and the seventh day and walking through the mikvahot. Look, he goes on to say in verse 13, Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person will be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification is was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still upon him. Reckon the old man... What's the New Testament say? Reckon the old man how? Dead. Inside of us we have within us two parts. A Jacob and an Israel. The spirit and the flesh. We're to reckon the old man dead. Has the old man ever risen up in your life and and, and brought about grief? There's no different when the old man raises up in our life and we listen to the dead man that's in us than there is to the touching the dead body. I need to be cleansed. How am I cleansed? Confess my sins. I come before Jesus Christ. Pictured in the in the red heifer of Numbers chapter 19. Outside the camp. Where was Jesus crucified? Outside the camp. I come to him. He makes me clean. You remember Romans chapter 7, Paul would cry out, Who will save me from this body of death? Doesn't it begin to make sense what he's talking about? He's talking about how can I be made clean? I'm living dead. My flesh is dead around me. It controls me. It's part of me every single day. How can I overcome this body of death? But I thank God... Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can be made clean. We can be made clean. Applying that same concept to ourselves. Now, in verse 14, he says, This is a law. When a man dies in a tent, all who come into the tent and all who are in the tent will be unclean seven days. Quarantine. Someone died in a tent, people were present, they were all quarantined for seven days. And every open vessel which had no cover fastened on it is unclean. Any open vessel into which something might have gotten to make the the water or the meal that it held impure was declared to be unclean and would be taken outside of the camp. Whoever in the open field touches one who is slain by a sword or who has died or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. And for an unclean person... They shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin, and running water will be put on them into a vessel. And a clean person will take hyssop, dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent, on the vessels, on the uh, persons who were there, or on the one who touched a bone, or the slain, or the dead, or a grave. The clean person will sprinkle the unclean on the third day and the seventh day, and on the seventh day, he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, bathe in water, and at the evening, he will be clean. So, it says, this is the ritual to go from unclean to clean. The third and the seventh day. Or the third day, what happened on the third day? Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And we, you and I, we're to follow in that same resurrection. Isn't that what baptism is all about? I died to the old life and what? I raised again to the new. The old man is dead. His power in my life is broken. I have been set free. But occasionally we go back and touch the old man, don't we? We need to be cleansed. Seven is the number of completeness, perfection. What is the last, the last words or the words prior to the last words Jesus said on the cross? It is accomplished. It is finished. It's done. It's paid. It's purged. It's cleansed. Debt is paid. In Christ, we can be made clean. But listen, what they're trying to amplify here is this. The man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person will be cut off from among the assembly because he's defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of purification has not been sprinkled upon him. He is not clean. The unclean doesn't just become clean. You don't just magically get cleansed. The unclean becomes clean by listening to God's instruction. By applying the Word of God. By taking the Word of God and applying it to my life. And I say, hey, I'm not just going to magically you know, focus on being good and then suddenly become clean. There's something that I needed to do. I need to apply the blood of Jesus Christ in my life. I need to apply the sacrifice that Jesus made. I need to be purified by the washing of the water of the word. Isn't that what the word declares? Ephesians chapter 5. To be made clean by the washing of the word. Jesus said in John chapter 17. Now you are clean by the word that I have spoken to you. So it's applying. It's. It's taking the word of God and allowing it to wash in our life, to wash over us, to make us clean. As you're as you're looking at this, remember as we were going through, uh, we've been going through Second Corinthians on Sunday morning. In Second Corinthians chapter seven, we we kind of touched on this same subject. Second Corinthians chapter seven, Paul writing to the church at Corinth in regard to the same kind of thing. He said, "Therefore, having these promises, beloved." Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Does God still want us to be holy? Does God still want us to be clean? In 1 Peter it says, Be holy as I am holy. In 2 Corinthians he says, Therefore, let us cleanse ourselves. And we spoke on how do we cleanse ourselves. What's he talking about? All the promises that God has given us, how are we cleansed? The washing of the water of the word of God, applying the blood of Jesus Christ in every a- area of our life. Just as they went outside the camp and applied the blood of the or the ashes of the red heifer, we go outside the camp, come to Jesus Christ, confess our sins and allow him to wash our feet and make us clean again. It says in verse 21, it will be a perpetual statute for them. He who sprinkles the water of purification will wash his clothes, and he who touches the water of purification will be unclean until evening. Okay, and then he goes on. Whatever the unclean person touches will be unclean. See, uncleanness can be easily transmitted. Easily transmitted. All you had to do was touch someone else. But that which is clean, well, that's got to be sought out. Look what it says. And the person who touches it will be unclean until evening. Where would they seek out the cleansing? The ashes of the red heifer. Picturing the application of the blood of Jesus Christ, the washing of the water of the word. In our lives, if we want to sit around and remain unclean, we can go throughout our day, we can watch TV, listen to the radio, do all the things we do, get stinking thinking. If we never apply the Word of God and the blood of Jesus Christ in our life, then we're going to walk around dirty. Pretty soon our minds are clouded. Our attitude is stinky. We become like the children of Israel. We're bitter at God about where we're at and we're in the wilderness complaining. Or... We can seek out that the cleanness that God wants in our life found by the application of the blood of Jesus Christ and the washing of the water of the word. The Lord said, Those who sought me, by those who sought me, I was, I was found. Those who, who did not seek me, I revealed myself to you. The Lord wants us to seek him early to, to pour over him. Where are we going to find him? You're going to find him in the word of God. Throughout the Word of God, God wants us to eat our daily bread. The manna, bread from heaven. Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. He is the Word of God. The Word of God needs to become a part of our life. So, in chapter 19, he's laying out for us. Hey, this is is what can be a part. Now listen, it's a picture. What does 1 Corinthians 10 tell us? All these things happen to them... As examples, typos, typos. They're types. They're pictures for you and I. Examples for you and I. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14 said, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God... Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, you thought they put all their their hope, they followed the teaching, looking for the red heifer. How much more now the blood of Jesus Christ, which that pictured, of which that was a type. Doesn't the blood of Christ wash us clean? Doesn't he make us white as snow? He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. All of those things we see pictured in this place and in this way. Applying the blood and allowing ourselves to be made clean. Now then the scripture goes on in chapter 20. It says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh might not have felt it 37 years just passed 37 years of the of the wilderness wanderings over they're back at kadish they're back at the place where they didn't enter into the promises of god they've circled around through the wilderness through the wilderness of Zin. they come back into kadish and look what it says just one phrase and miriam died there and was buried you remember miriam right you remember Miriam, Moses' sister. You remember when Miriam's parents uh, kept Moses as a child because he was a beautiful baby. They they saw God's plan and work in his life, and they finally take him to the to the Nile River to set him loose in a in a basket of of pitch. As they float him down the river, what did Miriam do? She was filled with courage. She followed and watched Pharaoh's daughter. Pick her up. And as Pharaoh's daughter picked her up and decided that she was going to keep him, Miriam ran to Pharaoh's daughter and said, Hey, I know a woman who would be able to nurse your baby. And she went back to her mom and brought her mom, and her mom got paid to nurse the son that Pharaoh would have destroyed by casting him into the Nile. That was Miriam. Courageous little girl. Or Miriam, after the Red Sea, who had gone out into the to the other side of the Red Sea and burst in the spontaneous praise and began to glorify the Lord who had delivered them out of the grasp of Egypt and was now beginning their journey toward the promised land. Or do we think of the Miriam who rebelled against her brother was leprous for a time and healed. Which of us haven't fallen at one time or another. But you remember when God said, and none of this generation will enter into the promised land. He was speaking to Miriam too. And while you're thinking about that, he was speaking to Aaron, and he was speaking to Moses. He named two names that would go in from that generation. You remember them? joshua and caleb everyone else would perish miriam didn't have some special exception because moses is my brother moses is my brother it doesn't apply to me no it applies to everybody the same miriam they came back to Kadesh barnea and this is the summation of miriam's life miriam died and was buried there miriam died and was buried there In verse 2, it says, Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Now listen, this is almost a new generation. The Bible tells us the sins of the father are passed on to the son, to the the fourth generation. A lot of people believe in something called generational curses. I don't buy that. I don't believe the Bible teaches it. The book of Ezekiel says, Strike that... that, uh, proverb from your mouth that says a father ate sour grapes and my teeth fall out that's what the bible says about generational curses but what is it saying the example that we portray for our children our children will walk in it's not a generational curse they just watched you they just watched me you ever heard the saying apple doesn't fall far from a tree how many times have we seen our own children behave in the same way that we've behaved? Doing the same things that we've done. And if your kids aren't old enough, don't worry. They'll get there. They all do. They all do. They all portray who we are a little bit better. And, and, and we'd, we would like if They would miss some of those things. But nonetheless, they will follow in those footsteps. Does it mean that they're not responsible for their choice? No, it doesn't mean that. And God's going to try to prepare this generation just as He prepared the one before it. By showing His power, by showing His might, by showing His ability to deliver. What do we see Him doing? Falling back on the very same thing that their parents did. There's no water, so we're going to complain. And the people gathered against Moses and Aaron, and the people contended with Moses... And spoke, saying, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Oh, you remember the rebellion of Korah? We have around 15,000 people dying about that time. We have the murmurings, the different murmurings that took place. The quail that came. the, The different times where God brought His judgments. We've had 90 funerals on average every day. For the last 37 years, they've seen people dying all over the wilderness. If only we had died before the Lord it hadn't come to this hard place. But see, God wants to teach them something like he tried to teach their fathers before them. And that is, no matter how hard the place you're standing, I am with you. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's there. He's in the midst of the the difficulties, in the midst of that time. He is with you. He knows what's going on. They say, Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness? And we and our animals should die here. Now let me ask you a question. Who brought them there? Was it Moses and Aaron? Every day they got up in the morning, where what decided whether or not they went on a journey? You remember? Was the cloud, was the pillar? If the Shekinah glory of God moved, they followed the Shekinah glory. What's the picture? I want to be wherever God is. And if God's not there, I don't want to be there. I want to be where he is. Because where he is, I want to be in his presence. I want to be in that place where the blessing of God and the, and the covering of God are there. Have you ever wandered away from the, the blessings and the presence of the Lord and wandered around in the darkness on your own? Now the Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He'll he'll, he'll leave the 99 sheep and go find the one that's gone astray, right? But the picture is, I want to be where God's presence is leading. Is that your focus still tonight? I want to be where God is leading. It's not about what man says, man does. No, God is in control. God is sovereign. You either believe it or you don't. Something in this world is is upside down. If it's upside down, folks, it's upside down because God said it needs to be upside down right now. He told us what was coming and what would take place. We know the end from the beginning, right? God is in control. We want that presence. We want to be in that place with the Lord. So they're complaining. Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. I thought you said we were going to a land flowing with milk and honey. What's up? There's not milk and honey here. Why are they not in the land of milk and honey? They didn't trust God. If they trusted God, they'd have been there. Sometimes it's good for me to remember when I find myself in the wilderness and and bitter and angry and frustrated that the reason I'm bitter, angry, and frustrated and in the wilderness in the first place is because I'm not trusting God. If I trust God, I won't be bitter. I'll have joy. I won't be frustrated by my circumstances because all those circumstances pass through the hands of a God who loves me. And it's for my good and His glory. Period. Always true. Never not true. So we trust Him. Well, how can I trust God? I, I've lost everything. So? Trust Him. He is everything. Either He's your everything or He's your nothing. It's not He's my something. He needs to be central, focus. It needs to be what we're about. They're saying, no, we're not in the promised land. But you're not in the promised land because you chose to wander. You chose to... To just be out in, in the middle of no place. You chose not to, uh, to believe and trust God. So, Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. What they do? They fell on their face. Moses and Aaron constantly going before the Lord in prayer. For everything. That's a good place to start. I wish they'd have spent more time there on this particular day. However... They were constantly falling on their face before the Lord. Oh, my boss said that I'm going to lose my job or they're going to take away my house or my car broke down and I don't know whether to fix it. I don't know what to do. Then fall on your face before the Lord and seek Him. And when He directs, when He tells you or guides you or leads you or speaks to you through His Word, then move. Otherwise, you stay there in His presence and await on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. And he will guide, he will direct. Just like he did Moses and Aaron. God speaks to them and tells them what to do. They seek the Lord, God shares with them. It's no different today. No different today. I seek the Lord. I don't know what to do. I, I'm really troubled about this or about that. And I spend time with the Lord in the morning. And I spend time reading His Word. And I spend time on my knees. And I'll spend time in worship. And the next thing I know, I know God's voice speaking to my heart, either through His Word, through worship, through prayer. I, I know that I know that I know that God's directing me. That He's showing me a direction, giving me... The, the idea, I know that idea that just popped into my head didn't come because I'm so intelligent. It came because the Lord is answering the prayer. Seek Him. Seek Him. We've been talking and, and praying, and I'll continue to pray, that God will bring revival in our community. But how's that going to come? Revival will not come on a church that's not on its knees. Will not ever happen. You can wish for it. But if you're not praying for it, it's not coming. It's not coming. We have opportunity. You know, I've shared with you guys a couple of times. Where is on a wall? 168 slots in a week. 168 hours in a week. All we're asking for is one. One out of 168 hours. That's not even a tithe. Just one hour out of 168 to pray. What do I pray for, Jackie? If you can't think of nothing else, pray for revival. Pray that God will move, that God will pour out his spirit upon his church, that that, things can keep, that people's eyes will be twer- turned toward him. If things are going to get uglier before they get better. I think things will get better when we see Jesus. Until then, I'm not sure things are going to get better. I'm not sure things are going to turn around and go back to how it used to be. I think we've made a choice and we're headed down a road in opposition to what God wants to do with our nation, with our country. And I think the church, in a lot of ways, is in the same place. Especially the church in America. Do a little bit of traveling and see how the church looks in another country, third world. Watch how they worship. Watch whether or not they're at it, they're they're on their knees for the Lord. They need to send missionaries to us, not the other way around. Because we need revival to flow through. How's that revival going to come? Just like it comes for the children of Israel. Moses and Aaron on their face. The children of Israel on their face before the Lord, desiring, seeking, wanting To have God move in a mighty way in their life. So here this new generation is complaining. Here this new generation is all bummed with Moses and Aaron. So Moses and Aaron fall on their face before the Lord. And then the Lord spoke to Moses. And he said, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron. Gather the congregation. Speak to the rock before their eyes. And it will yield its water Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. God sound mad? Doesn't sound mad. Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock, Moses. You're going to complete a picture. Speak to the rock. Let's look. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 gives us a little bit of insight on this particular uh, Section of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized or identified in the Moses and the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual drink, all drank the same spiritual, uh, or all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was who? Christ. In Exodus chapter 17, when the people cried out for water, the Lord said to Moses to do what? Strike the rock. Smite that rock and water will pour forth. It's a picture. We have a song called Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. That that rock was smitten, that a cleft was created, that its side, if you will, opened up and water poured forth. We see the same thing in Jesus Christ as the spear was cast through his side. out of his side came blood and water. The Bible tells us that rock was Christ. How many times was Christ smitten once? Then Jesus said, "If any of you want water, come unto me and ask." Moses was to go to the rock and speak. Just ask. And living water was to pour forth. But, after all this time wandering in the wilderness, maybe Moses is frustrated. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 106 that the people drove Moses into this frustration. But listen, the Bible tells us that the loss of self-control is evident of not walking in the Spirit, but walking in the flesh. Touching the dead man. Being unclean. Anything good going to come out of that? Unclean doesn't make clean. Short of going and applying the blood of Christ and the water of the Word in their life, they walk around unclean. Here we see Moses, his attitude going south. He's told to speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you will bring water for them out of the rock and give them drink to the congregation and to their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Okay, so far so good. He's doing what God said. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, Wait a minute, did God tell him to talk to the people? Who was he supposed to talk to? Just speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. What does the Bible say? Cast your cares on him. For he cares for you. The Lord says when we come him, when we seek, when we lay our our, uh, uh, supplications before him. He says, I know what you need before you even ask. But yet he wants us to come to him, to speak to him, to have this relationship. Moses, come and speak to the rock. But Moses finds himself frustrated. He sees the people. And he's frustrated that another generation maybe is going in the wrong way and complaining. But he's walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. In the last 40 some years, how often have we seen Moses do the right thing? A lot of times, right? A lot of times the people needed rebuked, but Moses would rebuke him without bitterness and anger and, and contention in his voice. He would speak the words that needed spoke to the people by the Spirit of God. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Do you know if we walk in the flesh, we will mess things up? You walk in the flesh and you will mess things up. Here's Moses walking in the flesh, man. He's going to speak to the people. And when we speak in the flesh, we say dumb things. Hear now, you rebels... Must we bring water for you? What did he just say? What exactly does Moses have to do with water coming out of the rock? Nothing. God could just make water come out of the rock. Has nothing to do with Moses. But how does he represent this situation? Must we as though he by some power within himself is going to bring water out of this rock? Moses. In scripture called the meekest man Is going to fall In his strongest area And he's going to step out not in meekness But In an attitude of pride Abraham the father of faith Faith was his strongest His strongest character Yet by faith Or in faith or from faith He fell David his strongest character uh, uh, was probably your strongest characteristic was probably his integrity but in his integrity he fell the scriptures Paul would write let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall why because satan is good at making us trip where we think we're strong what do you mean peter Maybe one of his strongest characteristics was his courage. But in the face of a little girl around a fire, his courage fled. Satan is able to take our greatest strength and turn them into weakness. But what does God do in response? When I am weak, he is strong. When I am weak, he is strong. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast... In my infirmities, I will boast in my weakness. For when I am weak, then he is strong. And not trust in my strength. We see Abraham stumble and fall. We see David stumble and fall. Peter stumble and fall. Here, Moses stumble and fall. Must we bring water out of this rock? That's not Moses. What is it? The old man. What is it? The flesh. What does the flesh bring? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap. Corruption, death, decay. If he sows to the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap. Everlasting life. Another word for it, Zoe. Another description, abundant life. Abundant life comes when we walk in the Spirit. It flees when we walk in the flesh. When we present ourselves to God like Israel, governed by God, rather than Jacob, the liar and the deceiver. Not forgetting that we're the same person. But when we're living a life in submission to the Lord, He governs our our steps. He guides us. He leads us. He directs us. That's the attitude that we want to come to the Lord with. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? He's over-magnifying his own role. And then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice. Once was bad enough. He struck the rock twice with his rod. And what happened? And water came out abundantly. And the congregation and their animals drank. What was Moses disobedient to god he misrepresented him in deuteronomy moses is gonna give to us several of the sermons his sermons his final words to the children of israel before they go in the promised land very cool book excited about getting there we'll we'll break it down a little bit more when we get there because moses is going to share a little bit about this this circumstance in his life and and you know what that was all about and an opportunity to teach those who are going to go forward not to make the same mistakes Isn't that what we want i don't know about you i don't want my kids to do the same dumb things i did i'd like to see them learn i'd like to see them learn from those experiences but what happened here is water came out why why did water come out what happens when when the water pours through and water comes out of that rock and maybe everyone looking on, they think, oh, wow, you know, the, the water came out. So I guess Moses did right. What does the water come out tell us? Just because something works doesn't mean you're doing it God's way. Just because it works doesn't mean it was God's way. For in the flesh... No man can please God, we can only please him by walking in the spirit. We can only please Him by living a life of faith, not by sight. We can only please Him when we live our lives utterly and completely and totally submitted unto him. We want God to do His thing. And we also want to understand that, that we don't want to go around and build our theology on events. Well, Moses beat the rock twice and water came out of it, so that must be right. Uh, nope. It's not. Well, a lot of people are going to that church, so they must be doing something right. Really? I'm sure a lot of people are, are going to a church that Satan attends. He may even preach at it. The Bible says in, in the last days... Men will despise the proper theology and teaching of the word and pile up for themselves teachers that tickle their ears. Oh, I like this. I like that. I like studying all these little things. And forget about the, the word of God, the whole word, Genesis to Revelation, book by book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, precept upon precept. They called Isaiah a childish little baby when he said that you should go through the word verse by verse... Word by word, precept by precept. Oh, that's childish. If you're really special, you'll like this or you'll like that or you'll want this special kind of teaching or or that special kind of teaching, but what the Word of God calls for. Paul says, I have not shown to declare to you what? The whole counsel of God. Word by word. Every word viable and important. Teaching us, helping us. Learn to grow, to do what it is that God wants us to do. And what did he want Moses to teach the people? All you have to do is ask for living water. All you have to do is ask. But, Moses was disobedient to the Lord. Disobedient to the Lord, so the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, because you did not believe me, you did not trust me, Even though you said what would be right is if the people got reamed. The people need reamed. They need told what's up. You ever felt that way? Hey, you know what? This guy just needs to know that what he said or what he did is not right. If God hasn't told you to speak the words, you'd be better off just being quiet. God never told Moses to speak. I'm sure Moses fell after 37 years of hearing their grandparents and their parents complain, I'm done with this generation. I'm going to straighten them out. I'm going to tell them what's up. And I'm going to explain to them what side of the bread is buttered on and how good things are. And he just got them have it. Only what was that? That was his flesh. And nothing good comes out of the flesh. Paul said, I know that in my flesh nothing good dwells. Do you believe that? Because if I lead to my flesh and I start saying, well, they just need to know what I think. Really? Where does it say that? Where in the Word of God does this say you have to tell people what you think they need to hear? doesn't say it anywhere. And it led Moses to a very... Lousy place. Where God says, now you can't come in. And what is the problem, number one problem? You didn't believe me. Moses, you didn't trust me. You thought the people needed hollered at. I told you, just speak to the rock. Just trust me, Moses. Trust me that I know what I'm doing. When we don't trust that God knows what he's doing, then we are walking in unbelief. And I think we need to recognize that in ourselves. i got to recognize it in myself. I can paint it all kind of different pictures. Can't we? Can't we make it look all nice? Can't we make our sin look not so bad? And someone else is all screwed up? What the reality is, I, I have the same issues i got to work through. i got the same thing going on in my life. He says here, the number one thing, you didn't believe me. And the second thing, you didn't hallow me. You didn't present me to the people holy. You misrepresented me. I wasn't mad. But you, you represented me as though I was mad. The Bible says, let not many of you become teachers. For they fall under a stricter condemnation. What's that stricter condemnation? God expects you to rightly represent who he is. Not who you think he is. When we give out the water of God's word, it should be pure. It shouldn't taste like the rubber of the hose. If it tastes like the rubber of the hose, there's too much of Jackie mixed in it. And it needs to be pure. God needs to be hallowed. He is holy, perfect, right, and just. And if I don't understand how something should work out, the problem's not with God. Problem's with me. Moses, you didn't believe me. You didn't trust me. And you didn't hallow me. You didn't present me holy to the people. You misrepresented who I am. Therefore, you will not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. You're not taking them in. All this generation will perish. The last one to perish is going to be... Moses he's going to die in the wilderness with his people because Moses was still an imperfect person used by a perfect God he was not more righteous more holy than all the other people who died in the wilderness before him he struggled with the same things we all do We can't ever forget where we come from or what's going on. Moses, representing the law, could he take the people into the abundant life? Nope. Miriam was called a prophetess. Could she take the people in? Nope. Aaron, the priest, could he take the people in? No, who takes the people in? Yeshua. Yehoshua. Oh, we say it this way. Joshua. But you know how they say it in the Greek, right? Jesus takes us in. Joshua will take the people in. Picture of Jesus Christ bringing the children of Israel, bringing you and I and everyone else in. So, but here's what we, we got to grasp. Moses said, we're not going to go through the rest of the chapter. In verse 13 it says, This was the water of Meribah which means contentions, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hallowed among them. But you know what happened? Moses hears this word. He hears that there's going to be consequences for his choices, that he's not going to enter into the promised land. So the next day he throws his rod down and sits in his house and pouts and he quits. Is that what happens? Well, if it did, the book would be over. We have several chapters to go through still. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. God's mercy is new every morning. And no matter what mistakes we make, it's always too soon to quit. Moses got up the next day, and he led the people. He did what God called him to do. Are there consequences in my life because of choices I made? Sure there are. There, are there things that, that, that I'll still carry with me because things that have happened? Absolutely. Does that mean I should quit? Does that mean I can't uh, ever be victorious or I can't walk with the Lord or I can't be pleasing in His sight? Nope. His mercy is new every morning. We lay down the old man and reckon him dead. How can I who have died to sin live any longer in it? I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to trust him I want to present God holy and when we do that we walk in obedience to him and fruitfulness happens there's still a lot of things for Moses to do I don't know maybe he's bummed because his sister just died and next week his brother's going to die Every person he ever hung out with is going to die. Anybody he ever went out and had barbecue with or hung out with, they're all going to die. All of them. But God's people, God's warriors, God buries them. But the work of God goes on and on and on until it is completed being confident of this that he who has begun a good work in you will see it to completion to the day of christ jesus amen once you stand with me let's pray heavenly father lord god we thank you for this time we can spend in your word we thank you god for the truthfulness that your word brings and and Lord, hopefully for the lessons, the application that we're willing to make. Because your word tells us all of these things happened as an example to us. And 1 Corinthians 10 goes on to say, And with most of them, you were not well pleased. With most of them. They, they didn't make it. They didn't, they didn't enter into all that they could be. I don't want to stand before Jesus. I don't want to stand before you, Lord, and, and not have you be pleased with the life that I lived out for you. I know it's not going to be perfect. I just pray. You give me the, the willingness. And when I fail, I stand back up. Dust myself off. Pick up my rod. And move forward in the things that you've called me to do. Until the day that you put me away. And on that day, God, more than anything else, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, not, what a disappointment. Your life could have been something else. It's never too late. It's always too soon to quit, but it's never too late to have a new beginning. For the victorious Christian life is filled with new beginnings. Oh, but I messed up. I, I, I didn't make the right choices. Well, great. We have the ashes of the red heifer pictured in the blood of Jesus Christ shed on a cross for my sin. And when I'm cleansed by him, all I have to do is come to him and confess my shortcomings and my sins to be made clean and to enter back into the camp, into a relationship, into, into that place where God can use me. however many times it takes. God, do your work in our lives. Father, bring upon this community in our lives. God, it's got to start here. Bring it to me. May we fall down before you on our knees broken so that you will raise us up. Your tools to do a work that you're calling to be done. And may we trust that the things that are going on in our life are not haphazard or controlled by our boss or some crazy guy living on the block or some guy around the corner. But that the things that occur in our life come through the hands of a God who loves me, who is sovereign, who is in control, and who is saying to me in the circumstance, in the storm, trust me, believe. Believe that I know what I'm doing. And wait upon the Lord that our strength may be renewed. Father, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon your church. God, that you would equip us, that we might be bold witnesses for you. But that we, like your son, would not allow one word to pass from our lips that's not a word that God wants. Spoke that God's not leading us to say. May we, like your son, say, we speak the words that God tells me to speak. Well, the Word of God tells us, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is necessary for edification, that it may bring grace to those who hear. may we make a choice to be obedient to what you're telling us to do, what you're calling us to do. When you call us to confront, Father, may we do it the way Moses had done it in the past, not with anger, bitterness, contention in our heart, but just walking in the Spirit and allowing God to direct. And when God calls us to be quiet, May we learn the beauty of silence and let God do His work. Tonight, if God is calling us to speak to the rock, may we not beat it like Moses did, but just speak, and from it will rivers of torrents of living water pour into our lives. All we have to do is ask. He was slain once for all. Now all we need to do is speak. Father, move among us in a mighty way as we lay this out before you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close in worship. We invite you to to stay and close in worship with us. We also have some things out there in the the foyer that uh, we might uh, uh, partake of together. Some donuts, I think, and a time of fellowship. God bless you guys and go in peace. Thank you.
1: overwhelmed how your mercy fell change your heart as hard as mine I tried to turn away deny the hand you gave but you refused to leave my side wonderful God God Wonderful Savior Wonderful Love Who could compare None can be found Wonderful Savior Wonderful God Undeserving grace You stole my heart away. Forever, I am yours, my King. The beauty of Your strength it draws me once again. Stand before You now and sing, wonderful. Wonderful God, wonderful God, wonderful Savior, wonderful. Saviour Wonderful God Wonderful Saviour Wonderful God Wonderful Saviour Wonderful God
2: Lord, Lord, may we build upon the rock which is you like you lord christ jesus lord lord that you would just bring to our hearts lord all those things that are wood hay and stubble lord that we would lay a foundation of gold silver and precious stones lord that you would reveal to each heart lord all those things that are that will be burnt in your presence lord god Lord, teach us to talk to that rock, Lord Jesus. Lord, go with us as we fellowship, Lord. Uh, May your spirit be uh, upon us, Lord, as we finish this week, Lord, that we would be a mouthpiece for you, Lord, that we would be a light. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen.